0: Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter. The Riveter is a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and work and gathering spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. The Riveter has been my work community and home for the last two years. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my post-event chats and kitchen conversations with my fellow Riveters. Ask anyone at The Riveter Fremont, I like to hang out in the kitchen because there's chocolate there. Equity of opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I use Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. Best thing ever. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's W-O-T-R-1-0-0. Visit armoire.style to get started and use that discount code. It helps the show when you do. There's even a link right in your podcast player in the episode notes for easy access.
1: I had to give up the things that I thought were good for me by doing awareness and realizing that they weren't. Right. And so one of those things I'll start first just with the personal part was giving up people who were toxic in my life that I really loved. And I don't mean giving them up as in completely erasing them, but moving them out of my way. And part of those people, to be very honest, and from a spiritual aspect, I was one of those people. I was part of the person who was in my own way.
0: Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive and lifestyle coach, Laura Dolch. And each week, I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy living, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and leadership, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your work and life to recapture your momentum and achieve your big dreams now. Hey, Women on the Rise, happy Tuesday. I have very little to say about my chat with this week's guest, except wow. Cheryl Ingram inspires simply by being herself, but her journey to self-acceptance and showing up as her authentic self hasn't been easy. Cheryl gets real about being a Black woman in a world that shows up differently for her what it takes to face our past with vulnerability, how to learn from our mistakes and take action to correct them, and why cultivating self-awareness, forgiveness, and self-love is the only path to being who we really are. My conversation with Cheryl will shift your perspective and open your heart to what's possible. I'll let you get right to it. Let's start here. I would love to hear what blazing your own trail means to you personally? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So for me, blazing my own trail really means that you create a pathway for yourself that no one else has created for you. And I mean that not with an inherited responsibility. Like often when I think about blazing my own trail, I think about the people who came before me that started the pathway. And so part of me, that really resonates with me when I think about like building your own thing, even keeping in mind that people, that made it possible for you to have that privilege and that right. And so it really resonates with building my own companies, finding my authenticity and really being who I am personally, but also building something that really represents who I am and where I come from and what my journey is and being able to serve others even while I'm blazing my own path.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about the personal side of that too, because I think that, Uh, as a business owner, certainly there's a a journey there. And also just in terms of the personal path can sometimes be even harder. (laughs) How have you been able, do you think, to come to a place in your life where you feel like you can express yourself in that way and in an authentic way?
1: You know, Laura, that's been the hardest journey I've ever had to take. That's been the hardest trail I've ever walked. Part of it came from a lot of sacrifice. And I mean that in a way that I had to give up the things that I thought were good for me by building awareness and realizing that they weren't Mm -hmm. right. And so one of those things I'll start first, just with the personal part was giving up people who were toxic in my life that I really loved. And I don't mean giving them up as in completely erasing them, but moving them out of my way. And part of those people, to be very honest, and, and from a spiritual aspect, I was one of those people. I was, part of the person who was in my own way, right? And and it took a lot of clarity for me to remove other people so that I could focus on me in order to understand what that truly meant. And building that awareness and that consciousness and doing that self-work with the help of a coach, with therapy, with lots of reading, meditation, and just that spiritual journey was really, really difficult because I don't know if most people understand how hard awareness is. I think that we all have a clue about it. But when you really get into a space where you start to become more aware of the things that are blocking you from achieving your highest potential, that can be a really painful journey. But at the end, you know, it's all worth it. I saw this meme this morning that a friend posted that said, An airplane can't land unless the runway is clear. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. And I, when I saw that, I said the same thing. I was like, wow. It said, Move those. If you really want to land the plane and understand who you are, you have to clear your own runway, get rid of the barriers. And that really reflect. That really made me reflect on the journey that I've been through to get there. So it was just a lot of um, moving people out of the way, but also isolation was really required. And still even is sometimes when I'm having a really fucking hard day. Isolation really helps me to get in touch with me, but also to clear my mind.
0: Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack there. Okay, so... <laughs> So I, I love that. yes. I mean, it's the the personal awareness piece of it is it's so hard, as you said, like, first of all, developing it to begin with. And then when you actually start to become aware of your stuff, it's like, wow. So specifically, can you share like one or two things that you have learned about yourself in that journey of awareness that you felt like were really blocking your path?
1: Yeah. so it's actually started. I used to listen to Oprah Super Soul Sunday. Yeah. And she did an interview with Gary Zukov, who wrote Seed of the Soul. And that's the first really spiritual book that I ever read. And it came to me at a time when I needed it, right? It was like, it, it was so aligned in, in me pursuing my purpose and my journey. And I remember when I read that book, in it, he said something. Oh, uh, I wrote it down in my journal. He talked about what it meant to understand. And yourself and your soul and your purpose right and so part of that he talked one of the things he really talked about was relationships and that piece really resonated with me because it talked about relationship of self and relationship uh, with yourself and with others and there was an exercise that I did where I sat down and I created a list and, and on that list I wrote and it was a really really hard for me to do because it was like write out the things that you want to achieve on one side of the list. And then on the other side of the list, write down what's preventing you from doing that. Don't think about it, just write. And I remember I had, it was recently, I picked up that book cause I had lost my mother and I had really went into like this existential crisis about what it meant to be happy and to be fulfilled. And so there were things in that, on that list, Laura, that came from me and that came from her that really surprised me. So for example, I am a type A personality to my heart. I go, my if you ever look at my assessment, I go off the scale <laughs> when it comes to type A. And so it was really hard for me to, to understand my own ego and how it was hurting myself, but not just myself, other people. And that book had a whole section that talked about the ego and how the ego tends to get in the way of progress. And so when I sat down and meditated and talked to myself about how I was blocking my own path, but also the trauma that had created that those walls for survival, that shit was life changing.
0: Yeah, those walls that go up. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm so I'm nodding my head over here because I, I can totally probably everyone listening can relate to that in some respect. What was that like? What did that feel like to go through that process for you?
1: Have you ever had something that hurt you so much that you felt it in the bottom of your stomach? Like, do you know, like, that, that heaviness in your chest and that weight that hits you at the bottom of your stomach? That is what it felt like. It felt like I was stuck in a four-cornered room and I was starting to push my way out of it. And I say that because I remember I had to have a major surgery at the time. I had a fibroid that was the size of a softball. And it was causing me to hemorrhage because it was in my uterine wall. And I went into surgery. And it was the first time I'd ever went into a major surgery. And they took me in the prep room. And I remember laying in the bed in the prep room. And there was three things that came to me when I was laying in that room. And the first one was, are you really happy with what it is that you're doing now? And if you were not to wake up after the surgery, could you truly say that you've done all the things that you wanted to accomplish with the gifts that you've been given in your life? And what have you done to show your family that you really love them? And can you say that you believe this earth being content with that? And the answer was no to all three of those questions. And that was like, what I felt in that moment is like, was the beginning of describing the feeling through that entire journey. It was this heaviness in my chest, in my heart, like my soul had awakened and was breaking out of this box that I had built for it. And the box, you know, it made me recognize that that box had been built One, because of the consequences I had faced from being authentic, but also in the education that I had received, which taught me that there were limitations to the things that I could and could not do. And that is just not true, right? And so that should just, it was painful. I cried a lot. I still cry sometimes thinking about it. And it was also kind of, I felt a little bit of guilt and shame.
0: Tell me about those. Well, first of all, I should say, just a side note, I may edit this out or not. I had fibroid surgery as well. And I, oh my goodness. I, yeah. (laughs) And yes, for me too, it was the first time I had been any kind of major surgery and it is no joke. Anyway, that aside, glad we both made it through that. (laughs) Yes. What I want to know about though is you're talking about, and hopefully I'm saying this correctly, but some of the maybe expectations or I'll call them myths that you had in your mind about how you could be in the world.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that through this process, you started to sort of dismantle those is sort of what I heard. Yeah. Can you talk about how you went about doing that? Because I feel like there's a lot there and that's, that's really a challenge for most of us to, you know, dismantle those things that we believed all our lives about ourselves and what we're capable
1: of. Yeah. Um, I'm a big person that, that, when I'm solving a problem, I have to understand the root cause of where it came from. And I remember that, that I took this historical journey to understand who I was. I mean, like I did the DNA 23 and me to understand my background. I had to go back to my history and look at exceptional people who were like me and understand and listen to their testimonies and read their works to understand How it was okay to be who I was and where I had come from in a way that showed me that the limitations that I had had created this, what I would say, my lower self, right? Because I have my higher self now who I've been more in touch with and my lower self. And I remember I was at the first book that I had read was a letter or the first thing that I had read, I went back and read was a letter from Birmingham jail um, from Martin Luther King. And then there was this book or this this um, work by James Baldwin that talked about a letter to my nephew. And he was describing to him the way to be a black man in the world and what it felt like to deal with specifically white people and the limitations that they have created in the world and why those existed. And it wasn't in a way where it was shaming people, but it was an explanation of why the world exists the way that it does now and has taught you how to fit in it and why you need to learn to break those barriers. And so I also read this book by James Baldwin called The Fire Next Time, or The Fire Inside. And in the book, he talks about breaking chains in order to free yourself. And it was like all these things, they say when things are meant to be, they start to fall into place, right? And I remember after I read that book, I was reading my dissertation again because I had done it on how the impact of... is settings can impact the dropout and pushout rate of African-Americans. And in my dissertation, I had quoted this work from Audre Lorde where she talks about the Black unicorn. And she talked about what it means to speak your voice when you come from a population that had never been heard in the first place. And it was like, I had to turn to the people who had cleared a pathway for me and understood how hard that was for them and understand what it meant to have that inherited responsibility, but also to learn self-love Through pain. And so that was one of the ways where that was like the origin of the journey that is still continuing.
0: What kinds of daily practices, because that's really heavy, right? I mean, that's that's a a heavy weight to carry and to push through. So I'm curious, and you mentioned the self-love piece of it. It makes me think about how do you, in a practical way, day to day, do that? What self-care practices, if you want to frame it that way, help you move through all of that?
1: Yeah, there are, I have, a, my self-care routine is pretty heavy. Um, and I say that in a way, <laughs> not in a negative way. Um, I love it. You could, if you looked at my calendar, you'll see on my calendar every day, Monday through Sunday, a block for self-care starting at six o'clock and it goes until eight. And one of the first things that I do when I wake up is I start to say five things that I'm grateful for. And I learned that because I also have a spiritual coach who taught me that practice. And it could be the simple things, you know, about five things that I'm grateful for. And then I'll meditate. I'll say a prayer and I'll meditate anywhere from five to 15 minutes, sometimes 30, just depends on how I'm feeling. And the meditations will vary. So I'll do things that talk about release and relaxation to manifestation and abundance um, to healing. It just depends on what's really on my heart and in my soul that day. And then after I do that, sometimes I will journal. Journaling is not as consistent as the meditation piece, but if I feel the need, I have a journal that is right by my bed every morning. And if I feel the need to reach for it, I'll grab it and I'll just write whatever I'm feeling. And then after that, I go work out. I work out four times a week at least. And I do pretty intense workouts because like you said. Some of the shit that I carry is really heavy and I'm very aware of that now. And so I tend to do very intense workouts. Like I go to kickboxing or I'll do a spin class, but more so now kickboxing has really become my release because I feel good when I walk out of the gym. And then I also, part of my self-care routine that is consistent is that I don't argue with people who are hell bent on disagreeing with me. You know, that is part of my wellness is making sure that I don't put myself in toxic spaces. And every Sunday, I've had this practice of going and sitting by the ocean. It's part of the reason why I moved to Cali and just talking out loud. Um, And those are some of the things that I do daily and weekly.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love the sitting by the ocean and talking out loud piece. I love that. It's That's such a... I love all of it. I love everything you just said. (laughs) Because I think... I'm hearing two things. One, you actually do have this interesting mix of more gentle... I'll call them self-care practice, like the meditation, the journaling, and then the the more sort of energetic pieces, like the kickboxing and all of that stuff. And I think that's really, for me, there's a lesson there. And I hate the word balance because I don't, whatever, lots of conjures up lots of things. <laughs> but I love the the interplay of those two things because I think we, we need all of it.
1: That's right. And I agree agree with you completely on the word balance. I tell people, you know, because I also have had a really fucking hard time trying to figure out another word for balance. (laughs) And I I would say that, you know, balance for me is not always and barely 50-50. Some days balance for me is 70-30. Some days it's 60-40. Some days it's 90-10. It just depends on what it is that I feel like I need that day. But it's not a 50-50 for me. That does not work for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the danger of using that word balance because you're right. It conjures this image of everything has to be equal. And there are like these artificial boundaries between, you know, like your work and your personal life and all the things in it, And there aren't, there are no boundaries. You're one person.
1: Yeah. I agree.
0: Yeah. Tell me about a time when you felt like you'd made a big mistake. What happened and, and how did you forgive yourself and get back on track?
1: <laughs> I know. I'm hearing the laughing. You're like, I have to choose one? I'm still forgiving myself for one and I will talk this the one I will use. Um, <laughs> I remember I was working in a nonprofit <laughs> and I, um, I'm big on servant leadership and the way that, you know, the things that I do in my leadership role are always informed and geared towards being intentional about the populations I set out to serve, especially in diversity work. And I preface that because I remember I was working in a job in a nonprofit and we were working to support what they would call urban youth through this journey. And I remember I was like, I need to get to the root cause going back to that again. Right. So I ran all these assessments. I had my team dig up all this data because the populations that we were serving, we weren't always getting in the door in the numbers that we needed to. And I was like, OK, I'm going to build it. I'm going to help build this program. I'm going to make it more equitable. I'm going to get these populations in the door, right? And I've always been pretty blunt and said, you know, some of the things that I wanted to say and not always realized the consequences that came with them. But to try to be as succinct as possible, I had rebuilt our assessment in order to make it more inclusive for disabled populations, for immigrant populations, for children who perhaps had struggled in reading or math or writing, just because a lot of our students came from public school systems where those things weren't always high in numbers where people would label them intelligent, right? So I rebuilt this assessment to make it more inclusive. And I remember we had a meeting and we were celebrating like two weeks before we had celebrated the fact that we had had more women in our program than ever. We had had more people of color in our program than ever just within the last year because of the assessment and the way we changed it. And I remember my boss standing up and she revealed numbers to us about the non-completion rate of students in our program since we had improved those numbers. And I remember looking at the fact that 70% of our non-completion rate were black men. And then I also remember seeing the number of women in our program being successful in our program were increasing or not being successful in our program were increasing. So here I was sitting there and I didn't say anything in the meeting at the time. But the heaviest feeling that I had was about the fact that I had gotten them in the door and then I had watched them leave. And I didn't even think about that when I initially created this assessment. And that shit hurt. And I remember that feeling so low about that, that I went home, I walked in my house and I was so broken down by it that I just sat down in front of my front door when I closed it and cried. And I was like, how did I do that? How did I miss it, right? And that was the question is, how did you miss it? That that could have been the outcome. And the reason being is because, you know, just the rules and policies and people in our program didn't always have the tools that they needed to be able to support the students who got through the door. And I didn't focus on that. And I just felt like shit. And, you know, part of that informed the way that I do diversity work now. Because I try to work hard with companies to get them to understand that if you don't fix your culture, if you don't get to the root cause, then you're, you're, the population that you intend to recruit and even support who are marginalized in your workplace are still going to leave. Even if you increase the numbers, guess what's going to correlate to that and what's going to be a causation of that? And I think that I've spent most of my professional career now making that right.
0: I love that story for two reasons. One, I love how deeply you feel things. And and I, I recognize as someone who feels them deeply too that, that can be a blessing and a curse. Yep. Um, and I love how you harness that deep feeling into action. And you took so much learning from that. And and now you have this whole business, two businesses that are that are based on those learnings how does that feel now to be able to look back on that and see where you have taken it
1: yeah I think that you know spiritually I've, I've it's like five stages of grief right spiritually I've gotten to a place of acceptance and part of the acceptance came from what is the lesson that you needed to learn so that you could move forward and make sure that you get it right the next time and so I've been really really intentional and I want to make sure I'm answering your question Ask me again, Laura.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's no worries. I'm, asking, I'm wondering how it feels now to be able to look back on that, like having harnessed that learning into something productive. And what does that feel like?
1: Yeah, it feels it feels validating in a way. And I say that because of the piece I was talking about with the lesson. There's some validation there about the fact that this happened for a reason. You just have to be aware enough to make sure that a mistake is only a mistake if you don't correct it moving forward. Right. And I remember learning that lesson in softball from my high school coach and, and it stuck with me throughout my career. And so it, there's this feeling of validation, but there's also this it was like the road to authenticity. Mm. And I think that that has been a huge piece of my my role to being authentic and understanding where my pain points are, where my growth areas are and where my strengths are, you know, especially in the leadership role. And I think that it's also been awakening in a way that even when I'm managing people, how I support people. So it's like, and, and, you know, the interesting thing is I'm in the midst of raising a round for my tech company and that's my story. You know, it it, it like set the foundation for why what I'm doing now has such a bigger purpose than I could have ever thought when I was in that other position at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So many gifts from that, as painful as it sounds like it was.
1: Yeah. I'm curious
0: about what you said earlier about the consequences of being blunt, that you you made sort of a, a side comment about learning about the consequences of being blunt. Talk to me about that.
1: Oh, yes. I have. There were times where I missed out on promotions. There were times specifically in the workplace. I'll start there first. I didn't get the raise that I, you know, deserved because there was always this topic about respecting others. And my supervisors would tell me that my bluntness meant that I didn't care about what other people thought. And so I stopped for a second. I, I didn't stop. Let me be clear. I, I covered my bluntness to an extent because I didn't want to say things that could hurt my trajectory and the people that I meant to serve. Right. So I remember facing that in the workplace in my normal life. You know, I was taught by my parents, my siblings, my friends about the same respect, because that had always been ingrained in us about how bluntness was rudeness to a certain extent. And in the communities where I had come from, bluntness was part of our way of communicating. And so I had learned respect from a cultural aspect that meant, no, you say what the fuck is on your mind, and sometimes you apologize later, or you be mindful before you say it, but you say it anyways. And so, you know, in the workplace, that kindness and that the way that I was taught kindness wasn't translated into kindness it was translated into disrespect and i think that that has also heavily influenced the way that i talk to people when i'm training about cross-cultural communication that kindness is cultural and so i think that we as a society have to be more mindful of the cultural way that we communicate from the background that we come from and not punish people all the time because of that especially if i say like for example i'm in a room and we're going through a process and I see that there are holes in the process. And the way that I would say it, Lara, is that's just not gonna work and here's why, right? But somebody else who has been taught the normalization of what it means to communicate respect culturally is going to say, let's think about another way to do that. And depending on who I'm with in the room and where I meet them, that's interpreted differently. And because of that, I've been punished. Even though I meant the same thing, and I didn't say anything directly to disrespect anyone. Is interpreted differently, and that's not fair.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you regret those situations? Like, do you regret being blunt?
1: No, I I regret the fact that I covered it to a certain extent in order to, you know, support other people. I regret that every day.
0: I knew that was going to be your answer, and it's part why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's interesting too. I can sort of relate to, I mean, so many things about that, but especially growing up on the East Coast and in the South and then coming to the Pacific Northwest where the communication style is a lot less blunt. That's a small, small slice of what you're talking about, but that's that's definitely been an experience that I have had here. And um, yeah, it can be challenging to navigate.
1: And that really resonates with me because I've never been punished more for being blunt than I was when I was in Seattle. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, this passive aggressive thing is serious. <laughs> it's,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, it is. It's a very interesting culture. And I think one of the things that I've learned, I'd be curious to know if you agree with this, is it's sort of like, in order to be an effective communicator, I've, I've learned to sort of like know who my audience is. Like, who am I trying to influence And how can I adjust without losing authenticity, right? Like that I feel like is the trick, right?
1: Yep. It's just like, you know, I said it earlier that say what you mean, but figure out a way to say it so that you can meet people where they are and not lose your authenticity.
0: Yes. Yes. That's so spot on. I love it. How would you advise your younger self at this point about taking this Path less traveled. What would you say to her?
1: Oh, you know, I have that letter in my journal, and out of a couple of things that came to fruition, was one. I, I said to my younger self, "Your creative mind is one of your biggest blessings, and don't let anyone take that away from you." Because I think I had to, I had to relearn how to use my creativity in a way that made me feel fulfilled and happy. And I lost some of that due to a formal process of education, and so. That's part of the journey. Is one understand that your creativity is one of your biggest blessings, but also I am what the world would consider a plus size woman, and so there was a lot of damage done, even just in subliminally, but also directly about what I look like, my hair, my size, my skin color, etc. And when I write to my younger self, I'm super intentional about understanding the beauty and what that is. Right, so not letting people make me feel like I'm less than them because I don't look like them, I don't act like them, and I don't talk like them. I also inform my younger self about the fact that you're going to have challenges. You are a Black woman, and the world shows up differently for you in certain aspects. And you have to not be okay with that. You have to accept that for what it is and keep going, right? Because you can't change people. You can only change yourself. But what you can do is give them the tools that they need to be able to change themselves. And that's not your job, which I used to think it was like, I'm going to change the way that this person does that. No, that's up to them, it's not up to you. And I also had to teach my younger self because I grew up very poor. I grew up in a mostly black African-American community and I had to teach myself to love that again. Like I've always loved who I was and where I came from, but I think that there was a varying degree of what love meant because of the portrayal of who we were and where it is that we came from in the media, in books that we read, in our history, et cetera. And so I had to talk to my younger self a lot about loving that piece of you, your family, your friends, even the economic conditions that you grew up in because those learn to appreciate those lessons earlier because they're going to shape the authentic human being that you become.
0: I love that story of of coming to terms with and also learning to love where you came from. Again, I think that really resonates with me as well and i would love for anyone listening as we're kind of coming to a close to hear how you made space in your heart i guess for that
1: yes i had to go back to understanding why i had fell out of love with it and what that meant is you know i looked back at like things that i had written i i, I started watching videos and things that just reconnected me to what we call cultural wealth right not cultural wealth but the cultural capital And the richness in that culture that I had overlooked due to the flaws that were always presented in it. So for example, I turn on the TV, the first thing I see were like criminals who are black. Or I thought about the fact that like some of my friends, we were losing touch because they weren't in the same space that I was. And so I had developed this idea about the fact that I was leaving them behind. I was outgrowing them. And some of that to a certain extent is still true. But I also, when I started to learn more about institutional discrimination and how that impacts poverty, it made me look at where I had come from differently. And also, I read this book and I did this work, it's called Trauma, It Didn't Start With You. And it talks about transgenerational trauma and how that impacts the way that we show up in the world. And I remember I had sat down and did this exercise where I had to think about all the things that were traumatic for me and compare those to the history of my family and the people and my ancestors. And I did that and it just, I saw this causation between the impacts of discrimination and poverty on my family and where they came from and what oppression really meant and how it impacts who we are. And so learning that helped me to build a different perspective on appreciating some of the barriers that we overcome and even the people who weren't at the same position in life that I was, but we're still progressing. And so there was like this big lens that had been changed for me. And I would say that I developed this equity lens and not just for people in the workplace, but also the people that I loved. Um, And it made me think about how I showed up for them. And it made me change the way that I showed up for them. And what what I mean by that, Laura, is that when I was in college, I would barely ever go home because I didn't want to be there because I felt a certain type of way about it. And then when my lens started to change, now I'm more intentional about going home and seeing my family, right? And and seeing the beauty in them and the barriers that they overcome and understanding what I need to do in order to support them to get out of the situations that many institutions have created for us through discrimination.
0: That's such a wonderful way to reframe it. I'm curious what you love about the? What do you love about where you came from now that you have that lens?
1: Yes, my family. (laughs) My family is pretty funny. They're very blunt, and I. They also. I love the love that we have for one another, even if we don't have, even when we don't have much. Like recently, I just went home, and I remember going to my niece's house and sitting there and just talking with them. And I remember my my great niece, who is her daughter came up to me with fingernail polish and had me painting her nails and her toes. And she was just laying on me, loving me. And to think about how that love shaped me and created me and how I had overlooked it was really building awareness and awakening for me. And so I love that my family is funny, that they're so blunt and that they, they have that tough love, but how they show up for one another when we really need each other. Yeah.
0: Where can people learn more about your amazing and powerful work?
1: A couple of places. So we have a learning channel on YouTube. It's Diverse and then City LLC. So if you want to learn about the work that we do, we do a lot of videos and highlights to give people tools and knowledge that they need to understand the lens that we have when we go into companies. We have our website, diverse City LLC. I'm trying to think. I also have a blog on Medium. It's one of the, I love it the most. I tend to write, you know, at least monthly now about just different experiences and a lot of personal journeys and relate that to our work. So if you go to, I think it's Cheryl Ingram, PhD, you'll find me on Medium. Follow our channel, read some of the articles because you'll learn a lot more about my journey and what we, I go through daily in the work that I do and how that relates to who I am.
0: That's great. I'll put all those links in the show notes too. And I have to just quickly give a shout out and a thank you to our mutual friend, Michaela Kiner for introducing us because- uh, Yes. because you are in her in her book female firebrands which uh one of the female firebrands so um yeah absolutely thank you so much cheryl this was so amazing i i wish we could talk for like two more hours because um i just yeah i love your stories
1: yes and thank you for creating the platform for me to be able to share my experiences and i'm hoping that the vulnerability helps someone else as they are navigating this journey I genuinely appreciate you, Laura. I appreciate your thoughtful questions and and just this
0: space. Thank you so much, Cheryl. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash womenontherise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, share episodes on social media or with your friends, and use the discount codes from our sponsors. It's all a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media.